Well, hello, everybody. That was a big, big uh, deep breath right there because there's so much to talk about. Free agency started and it ended today, but by the time you guys listen to it, it'll probably be yesterday. So um, it'll most definitely be yesterday. The Wraparound with Grace, Alessia, and Marjorie. Uh, Let's start off with the NHL entry draft. And so we're going to kind of talk about some of the prospects we had mentioned in last week's episode, talk about um, if any of the predictions that the girls made, if those were right. Um, Some funny things that also happened in the NHL entry draft in terms of, you know, you know, siblings being signed together and um yeah so basically my first question for you guys is how did your predictions turn out so for the players i mentioned i think both of them kind of like i saw like where they were supposed to go they kind of went so i mentioned matthew Beniers. he was selected second overall by seattle and like i mentioned last week he was a prospect i was really keeping my eye on and then i mentioned goalie jesper wallstedt now, he was selected in the first round, as I predicted, but I thought he was the best goalie coming into the draft and he was going to be the first goalie to be chosen, but that was not the case. The Red Wings did move up in the draft after a trade with the Stars, drafted Sebastian Casa 15th overall, but then soon after the Wild drafted Wallstead at 20th overall. So I guess my prediction that Wallstead would go in the first round was correct. <laughs> Yeah, I approached it a little differently last week and went for the top three. Um, Owen Power, pick number one by Buffalo, didn't surprise anybody. Luke Hughes, I had going second, uh, but he went number four by New Jersey, which is still pretty good. I was going to say, do you guys think that New Jersey was calling up teams and was like, please do not draft Hughes? Or like trying to buy out or buy? The NHL loves a good storyline. So I'm sure that there was a little bit of that. I think, yeah, like Grace said, there was probably a little bit of that, but it could have also been that maybe Luke Hughes kind of dropped a bit, but he did end up in the top five, which is where a lot of people were predicting he'd go. Exactly. But yeah, it's just a good story overall. This class had so much more unpredictability than any other class before. So it was Mm -hmm. kind of very fluid. Like I saw a lot of people who they had their predictions moving around or their predictions changed right before the draft because of how other teams picked, which is obviously usually how it worked. But like this year, it was a lot more, a lot more fluid than we've seen it in in other years. And I like that how you guys have mentioned both of those topics because that perfectly lines up the next two things we'll be talking about and you guys were talking about storylines and how the NHL loves the good you know story and likes to be out there in the media and one of them being you know sibling pairings um and so for example the Blackhawks um drafted Kirby Doc's brother did did we figure out if it was Doc or Doc I don't actually think we've ever talked about this before Oh, really? Maybe what I'm making a, what it up an in interesting my head then. point of thought. I, oh, no, we did because we had the little or k yeah. sound debate. Yeah. Um, yes. I think it's Doc. I think it's Doc. 
Either way, the Blackhawks uh, drafted Kirby Doc's uh, brother. The Avalanche also drafted Kill McCarr's brother. And then, like you guys mentioned, New Jersey signed, um, you know, Hughes. So now there's three Hughes in the league. Very, very funny, but I thought it was sweet. I mean, who wouldn't want to play with their sibling, especially if it's something that they've both dreamt up for a really, really time, really long time. I think especially the McCarr duo is the cutest because Kale McCarr is already a fan favorite and has been since his time in the juniors. And so I think that that is just going to like up that even more and they're going to have so much fun. I really hope the Avalanche have so much fun with that on their social medias um, and like PR wise, because I think that it's going to be really cute. I think that's the only word to describe it. Yeah, I think honestly, this is probably like the off season of the brothers when I think about it, because when you look at the Seattle expansion draft, both Hayden Flurry and Kale Flurry were chosen. So they will both be playing in Seattle, which is really cool to see. So yeah, it's off season of the brothers. And I'll kind of circle back to another point that Grace was making on, you know, this year's draft class. And I was going to ask you guys, how does this draft class compare to other years, especially since there obviously wasn't an OHL season and, um, you know, it was just a different year in terms of, you know, drafting, drafting and like, you know, watching prospects and, and so on. Well, yeah, there wasn't a CHL season, um, which is where most of the North American players come from there wasn't any college university sports the European leagues even only started up a couple months ago so there still really wasn't a lot of evidence to solidify the first round and you know the second and following rounds are always usually a little interchangeable players fall and rise in those classes often Um, but this first round was really just a great group of 31 players who were interchangeable in rank the entire time like Anybody could have, it was kind of a guessing game, I think. And I think the GMs had to have a lot of conversation, not only with their scouting groups, but also with other teams kind of, and just within their own organization, the other players, just to kind of see where these players would fit in because they couldn't really go off the most recent scouting video. They had to go off of stuff from almost two years ago, stuff that people just remembered from two years ago. So I think that it, it was really like I said before, a fluid first round and just a fluid draft in general. Yeah, I think Grace pretty much summed it up. Like I don't have too much to add. The only thing I would say is because like Grace mentioned, you know, there wasn't a CHL season, European leagues, you know, didn't start it up. Well, they started up pretty late. A lot of players like to make that last push to make that good impression for a lot of teams. And unfortunately this year that was impossible But like Grace mentioned, you know, it was a pretty fluid draft in the first round. You know, players fell and they rose, but overall, good. We're going to move on to the Seattle expansion draft. Um, A little bit underwhelming, I would say, on my part, because there were so many leaks that day that, you know, by the time I got to the draft, it was kind of pointless. <laughs> like nobody, I don't think anybody was excited to watch it anymore. And I didn't watch the whole coverage. I only watched a bit, to be honest with you. But either way, even the coverage of the, of the actual event wasn't even that exciting. <laughs> like personally, like I didn't find it, you know, super fun. So um, it wasn't really, I think, as exciting as everybody was hoping it for it to be. 
what a stupid thing to have the lists in by 10 and not have the draft until seven we came in and we were like yes expansion draft something to get us through the off season and we got mark giordano and a bunch of other guys a bunch of guys that we mentioned that we that like didn't even get chosen <laughs> there was kind of like no point in watching the draft and the coverage of it like you were just sitting there and you're like oh i already know who they chose because it was announced about five hours ago and <laughs> i don't know like if the nhl was smart and they wanted to get more eyes on that event this whole like submitting your list by 10 o'clock shouldn't have even happened it should have worked like a normal draft who do you guys think were unexpected grabs and then which players were you disappointed to see that they passed on when i'm looking at who they chose from the hurricanes they went with morgan geeky and i think the obvious choice was either between jake bean dougie hamilton who we know was a pending free agent and niederreiter but they went with Morgan Geeky, who in 38 games played, had six goals, seven assists for 13 points. So when looking at the options Seattle had, the players that they could have taken from the Hurricanes, Niederreiter would have been able to contribute to their offense, I think, quicker. Jake Bean, I believe, has more potential to be a great NHLer than Geeky. But they went with Geeky, and that was a surprise. And then kind of like a small surprise for me was Seattle selected Eberle over Bailey. I just thought Seattle would go with with Josh Bailey. But although they are both the same age and they both play right wing, so I guess it was kind of pick and choose who you want. But those are just two for me. An unexpected grab on Seattle, I didn't really have any because I think their picks were all so unexpected. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because their picks were so... No offense to any of the guys who got picked, but they were, the picks were underwhelming. Like they had so many big names available. And I understand that stuff goes on behind the scenes to keep those big names from being picked, but they still didn't have any big names being picked, except for maybe perhaps the biggest name they picked, which was Mark Giordano. I already said it. Like, I guess, so that was the unexpected one because- it was a kind of bigger name in a bunch of not so big names. Who was I disappointed that they passed on? I don't, again, have a specific player I was disappointed that they passed on because it, like, the entire draft wasn't as razzle dazzle as I expected it to be. And I guess coming from Vegas's powerhouse expansion, first year, everything. I was expecting more. And yeah, Vegas is Vegas. They were trying to make a show out of it. Glitz and glam, blah, blah, blah. But I did expect Seattle to initially pick some top players. But that being said, I do like, I was very hyped up about it. (laughs) And then Justin Bourne wrote an article for Sportsnet saying that they can use the players they drafted and the assets they acquired to trade in the future for some bigger name guys. So really right now they're just building a trade pool. And they've got cap space, a ton of cap space, and lots of assets to trade. So I think that this is going to be an ongoing thing for Seattle. It's going to be a a rebuild, but a new build, um, rather than Vegas, who came out of the gate just crushing it. So that it's different. It'll be fun to see how they build the team from here. But initially, a little disappointed. (laughs) 
Yeah, I think uh, disappointing is the perfect word I think you can use in this kind of situation. Uh, I think everybody can agree <laughs> that it was very, very underwhelming. But that's the league. That's sports for you. There are always leaks and, you know, stuff happens. Um, so I wrote this outline before free agency started. And so the question I was going to ask you guys was what kind of moves do you see Seattle making during free agency? Um, so I'm going to kind of twist that question around and say, what do you guys make of what they did during free agency? So for me, after the draft, I thought personally Seattle had a pretty decent decor, but their forward group was kind of underwhelming. I think there was a lot of people, a lot of players they passed on that could have, you know, contributed to their offensive depth. Some of them I mentioned before. So I think because a lot of people were expecting the Kraken to draft better in terms of forwards, going into free agency, they needed to add to their forward depth. And that's what they did today. They, they signed Alexander Wen- Wenberg and Jaden Schwartz. So they are kind of starting to add that depth that a lot of people were kind of underwhelmed with after the draft. So I think they'll continue to do that going forward. Um, I think signing Philip Grubauer was a good move for them. Um, big goalie and goalies are moving around so oddly in the league right now we'll get back to that yes don't yeah <laughs> don't even I can't I'll cry um, but he'll be their starter for sure Grubauer will be the starter for Seattle they have two other goalies who are NHL ready goalies under contract plus a I think he's an AHLer um, but their two goalies who are NHL ready are Vitek Vanacek and Chris Dreger I think they'll actually move forward with Dreger, Dreger, and trade Vanacek. Um, both are great goalies, but can, you have to consider those contracts. Uh, Dreger's contract is 3.5 times three years, whereas Vanacek has, I think it's league minimum um, for one more year, and then he's an RFA. So if they're going to be working on building up this team, I think they kind of want to get those goalies solidified so that they don't have to worry about more contract talks next year while they're still trying to build up this team. So, and with all the goalies moving around, Vanacek, it would be an easy move, I think. I think it would be easy to trade him. Yeah, those are those are good points. Um, as we all know, goalies are very essential <laughs> to any team because without a good goalie, it's very, very hard to win and it's very easy to lose. And so that's going to be the perfect segue into this next segment of our free agency frenzy and we're going to start off with uh, a goalie that it wasn't you know he wasn't um traded today I think it was yesterday I believe um but he was traded to Chicago and I'm sure most of you guys know who it is and it's going to be Mr. Marc-Andre Fleury yeah he was traded to Chicago uh Vegas kind of just got rid of him for absolutely no reason I don't think anybody saw that coming I think they got nothing in return nope. if I'm not mistaken and um, nobody ever communicated it to uh, Marc-Andre Fleury he I think he found out via social media so obviously the perfect way for any player to exit your organization and um, I was also reading somewhere that uh, Marc-Andre Fleury does not want to play in Chicago so he's considering his um, his career currently i am so upset (laughs) as we expected yes why would vegas i don't understand 
Vegas's point of view in this situation. I don't understand their point of view. I don't understand why Chicago would want Marc-Andre Fleury right now. I don't understand any of this. The fact that being traded to Chicago might mean that we are robbed of another few years of Marc-Andre Fleury's incredible goaltending is uh, criminal. Um, <laughs> I also think I'm a huge Marc-Andre Fleury fan. Everybody knows that. And it's very obvious from the way I'm speaking about it right now. Okay, this is going to lead into like 1,800,000 things. So A, Fleury's gone from Vegas. That's really sad. Face of the franchise. What are they going to do now? Who's going to replace him? I don't even know. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think they have a replacement for Marc-Andre Fleury as the face of the franchise. He goes mm-hmm. to Chicago. Is Chicago going to keep him? I kind of doubt it because I don't actually know if he'd be useful to them. I mean, he's a good goalie, but like, I don't think they need him. Are they going to flip him or is he going to retire? Boston just signed Allmark to replace and bolster their goalie lineup because Tuka Rask is out until January or February with a hip injury. Is that what it is? I think it's a hip injury. Colorado was interested in signing Allmark. They now need a replacement goalie to sign. I do think they may be interested in Flurry and could trade for Flurry. What they would trade, I haven't thought that far into it. I'm just holding on to this as a little bit of sunshine and hope. Boston also lost Halak because Halak signed with the Canucks. Mm-hmm. So, right, and Halak's not back on the market, so Flurry is still one of the top goalies out there right now. I, that's my current analysis of the situation. I hope so. I hope for Marc-Andre Fleury's sake, it, it does. It'd be, it'd be really sad to see him retire because he doesn't want to like move his family to Chicago or he doesn't want to play for Chicago, which is understandable because... They're a dumpster fire right now. I'm not afraid to say it. I don't think he ever expected him... Like I don't think he ever expected to play for a team like Chicago. Um, and so it's it's upsetting just to see how the situation, I guess, kind of you know, played out and what they did to Fleury because he definitely didn't deserve deserve that. But like Grace said, I really do hope the situation kind of works itself out and he finds himself in a situation where he's like, mm, okay, let's, you know, put the idea of retiring on the back burner for now. So let's hope that all works out for Grace's sake as well. <laughs> If I don't move on from that now, we're never going to stop talking about it or Grace will never stop talking about it. So we're going to move on to the next section. And since we were talking about Marc-Andre Fleury, who's obviously a goalie, as you guys know, we're going to move on to Freddie Anderson, who was signed by the Carolina. Carolina just loves taking our goalies from us. The Carolina Hurricanes? The Carolina Hurricanes. (laughs) So yes, that is who they have taken from us Leafs fans have been relying on Freddie Anderson to keep this team afloat while they sort out all of the junk that's going on and you know despite this past season where Campbell came in and Hutchinson and all of those fun things there's an attachment to Freddie Anderson but him being gone is also I think best for him and best for the team because now he could actually play in Carolina in front of a team that won't just let him be peppered with shots every night and the Leafs don't have to re-sign him because he would re-sign for quite a bit of money with the Leafs if he stayed and they can focus on Campbell and Razik. 
Morazic. So yeah, so then the Leafs also got rid of Riddick. So Riddick went to the Predators. He signed a one-year, $1.25 million deal with them. Um, the Leafs also lost Hyman and Felino, Hyman to the Oilers and Felino to Boston. And then to kind of make up for the Riddick and Anderson loss, the Leafs signed Peter Morazic, which is uh, not the worst thing. He didn't have, you know, he had pretty decent numbers last season. I'm not really that mad about that signing. I think he'd be, um, I think he's just a good add to the bench for for the Leafs, depending on which way they go. I think they can go either with Campbell or with him in terms of starting. So um, I'm not too upset. I mean, I also knew that Hyman was going to leave. That was expected. He wasn't going to be able to sign with the Leafs for the money that he potentially wanted. Felino was a little bit of a shocker. I didn't expect him to go to Boston. Um, but at the same time, not upset about that one too much either. But since we talked about the Leafs, it's only fair now that we move to the Habs and we're going to move on to Philip Deneau, uh, leaving the Habs, as Alessia always said, because he wanted the monies. Uh, he signed with the LA Kings. Yeah, so I mentioned a few weeks ago that it's likely that Philip Deneau would leave the Canadians, and it was also reported recently from Eric Engels that it was highly unlikely that Deneau would return to Montreal. And like I mentioned so many times, the offer that the Canadians made Deneau at the beginning of the season was very generous, and he declined it. So my thoughts before Deneau signed with LA was, I think he would be a top center target for many teams this offseason, and I think he would go to a team that he knows he will get top six minutes playing for. Those are two big things, and then also money-wise as well. So he signed with the LA Kings today, a six-year contract for an average annual value of $5.5 million. So he got the money he wanted, and he's likely going to see some big minutes with LA. Yeah, we were talking a little bit before. I didn't expect him to go out west. I feel like LA is a very strange team. I think to choose in terms of, I mean, I guess it makes sense for the money. I still, I don't understand why he, him as a player, he would want to move out West. Um, LA has a pretty older team. I know that they're trying to get younger guys on the team and, you know, kind of, um, you know, start up again a bit. Um, I, I found it strange <laughs> that he went out West, but like Alessia said, I guess he found what what he what he wanted essentially, which was money. See, the thing for me in terms of this Deneau signing is that his concern was that with Kotkaniemi and Suzuki, he would not have a spot in the top six as a center. But he went to LA where they have a lot of young talent coming up, including Quinton Byfield. So who knows how long he's going to be playing big minutes with LA anyways, if they have such great talent coming up that's so young so it's almost a similar situation to the Canadians so that's what I, I don't know I just found that funny yeah it's just it, it's weird it was a weird destination to choose I feel like I don't know I feel like if you wanted to stay competitive like he was in the last season with the Habs I feel like he could have gone somewhere you know in the states maybe the east maybe you know the you know the central division who knows but um like uh, me and the girls always say, players, um, you know, like to choose sometimes, you know, what's uh, financially beneficiary, beneficiary to them. So 
that's that. <laughs> and now we're going to move on to Gabriel Glandeskog, who I was very worried about last week. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie, but Colorado has resigned him. And I'm actually quite happy about that because I think it was in his best interest and in Colorado's best interest to resign him. I think in this situation, management knew that losing a power forward like him would have a very big impact on their team. And there was a lot of stress, a lot of rumors regarding the situation, Gabriel Laniscog, but, you know, both parties got it done. He signed a deal, eight years, $7 million per year, which I think is pretty decent for both, for both the team and the player. But yeah, we can just stop stressing because he's still a part the Colorado Avalanche. And that's the thing too, right? Is that he's a 52 points in 54 games player last season. So he earned that money. He's also their captain. So he earned that money. That contract, like the numbers shouldn't be a surprise. But I do think that Colorado went in a little lower than that and then did realize that we do have to pay big money to keep this guy around and keep him in with players like McKinnon and Rantanen and keep that little core that they've got going on strong yeah it's kind of just like inflation you kind of have to see it as inflation um <laughs> welcome to economics 101 <laughs> <laughs> landis gog has grown with the organization he's obviously older he's gotten a lot better a lot more mature and um i think it was only reasonable for uh, the avalanche the avalanche to to give him what he ended up with so Either way, I'm happy. I'm happy that Landis Gog is in uh, Colorado still. <laughs> and then now we're going to move on to Dougie Hamilton, who's been a question mark for quite a while now. I feel like he's been a question mark over the past year. And I think he was probably the last uh, signing to come through of the deadline, I'm pretty sure. And he ended up signing with the Devils, a seven-year, $63 million deal, which is a lot of money uh, for Dougie Hamilton. And um, I don't know about you guys, but I didn't expect him to sign with the Devils. Very interesting choice on his part. I think there were a lot of teams interested in Dougie Hamilton. I think he was one of the top defensemen available this year in the free agency. And, you know, when looking at a team that, should be trying to acquire strong veteran defensemen, puck-moving defensemen. A lot of people were looking to Montreal to try and acquire him. You know, with the unfortunate news that Shea Weber will not be playing next season, they were trying to find, or they should be trying to find somebody to take his spot. And Montreal ended up signing David Savard to a four-year contract, $3.5 million per year. I think it's a good deal, but I would have preferred Montreal to go with a puck-moving defenseman. But anyways, Hamilton signed with the Devils, and it was kind of a surprise, but, I mean, he got, he got the money. I think a lot of fans would have liked to acquire Dougie Hamilton. I Like, I'm not going to lie. I kind of wanted the Leafs to also acquire Dougie Hamilton because uh, Dougie Hamilton is a pretty decent player, and I think he's, all, he's only going to get better. I'm just reading this. He's a combined plus 50 over his last two seasons. Plus 50. Holy schmoly. Plus 50. And Jersey also made another pickup with Bernier. They signed Bernier to a two-year deal worth $8.25 Another one 
that was also uh, unexpected in, sen- in the sense that I didn't expect him to go to the Devils, but we spoke about him, I feel like, in the middle of the season. I don't remember when we spoke about Bernier, but I think we had mentioned that we didn't see him staying with Detroit and that he was possibly or, you know, most likely going to move. So that's not a surprise, um, just a surprise that the Devils went for Bernier. But um, regardless, those were, I guess, uh, the Devils' two big moves of free agency. Yes. I would like to talk about the Detroit Red Wings for a minute. Red Wings are doing such a great job at rebuilding. The Red Wings have picked up a couple defensemen in the draft and big guys, which kind of also worries me, but we'll get back to that. But they're setting themselves up for success. They're setting themselves up to have a strong defensive core. And really the only thing they have to worry about is forwards. Their defensive core is going to be so strong and pliable because most of them are prospects that they're going to be able to train them to play with each other. They're not going to have to worry about like competing playing techniques Mm -hmm. or like egos. Exactly. Um, The only thing I worry about with Detroit is that they are building up a bigger defensive core, which is not really where I see the league going right now. I think teams are going to be looking for one or two big defensemen because I said this last episode, the league is leaning more towards, and I think OHL wise too, OHL and NHL are leaning more towards smaller, faster defensemen, less of the big rough them up guys. Big guys who can hit. Yeah. More of the skill. Not that rough them up guys don't have skill, but you get what I'm saying. So that is my one worry with Detroit is that they are building up this defensive core so big and tall and strong that they're going to miss out on that super small skilled defenseman train. To end this episode off, we're going to kind of go back to where we started and go back to the NHL entry draft and end off with a question as as we usually do. And I'm going to ask you guys, which team after this year's draft has the most promising future? So Alessia, give me your answer. Um, I'm going to make this short and sweet, but I think with the moves that they made in their draft selections, including Ken Johnson at fifth overall, I'm going to go with the Columbus Blue Jackets. I think they were one of the better teams at this year's draft, and I could already see Grace's face. I refuse to believe that you picked the Columbus Blue Jackets. You've hacked into my computer and checked my sticky notes with all my notes on it, (laughs) because there's no way out of now 32 teams... That you also picked the Columbus Blue Jackets. This is hilarious. This is just so funny. Okay, like, Grace, just give me your thoughts, please. Okay. They drafted forwards who fit into their creative way of playing hockey. They drafted defensemen who fit into their creative way of playing hockey. They stocked up their prospect pool and they're able to bring guys up from their pool without disrupting the kind of hockey that they're already leading towards and they're already playing. And the kind that their current NHL guys are used to so I think that they drafted in a way that they're not going to interrupt their current system with any big or differently talented players sometimes I wonder if you know we were all you know one like the same person in another life and that's why we're always kind of you know on you know the same wavelength uh but Either way, I like uh, I like it sometimes when you guys are like this because it makes, uh, you know, answering this question a lot quicker <laughs> because you both have covered it. But irregardless, thank you very much for answering that question. There, um, like you guys said, there's 32 teams this year now. Um, a lot of, you know, 
um, bright prospects, a lot of promising young guys out there in the league. Now, after this draft, all of them will be very, very exciting to watch, especially over these upcoming years. And this is the last episode of this season. I hope you guys enjoyed. Please stay tuned. We'll be posting on our socials so you won't, you know, be missing us too much out there. But we'll be talking to you guys again in a couple months. So see you then and thanks again. Mm-hmm.